with you or your tablet, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 11. If you got out the door and you forgot a Bible and you'd like to borrow one, we'd be happy to loan you one if you like. You just have to raise your hand real high and these two good-looking buff dudes will let you borrow a Bible. Most of you know we've been making our way through this letter, the book of Hebrews. We find ourselves in chapter 11 this morning, and we're going to hopefully just finish out the chapter. So from verse 32 to 40, and I entitled our message, Faith That Overcomes, and it's part two. If you weren't here last Sunday, I encourage you, you can check out the live stream, the archive. We do have a podcast as well, and you can go back and listen to that or re-listen to that uh, if you like. But for our time this morning, again, verse 32 to 40, and uh, we're going to just take this next section, okay? All right. I'm going to invite you to stand with me, please, in honor of God and His Word. I'm going to read aloud, and you can follow in your Bibles. The author continues. He says, what more shall I say? Verse 32. For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, and check out this list, subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. That's not alien invasion, that's you know foreigners, foreign powers. Women who received their dead raised to life again. And then it seems as though the the list will pivot, and we'll talk about that too. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. And I love this phrase, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, notice they did not receive the promise, but God having provided something better. And the writer then includes the reader, us, something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. All right, we're going to pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. And Lord, even the blessing that the tsunami warning uh, didn't come with a, a terrible tsunami our day would look very different today if that were the case. And think about what happened uh, March 11th in 2011 and Sendai and how lives were completely changed and turned upside down in that day, in that moment. But Lord, thank you for your grace and your goodness. Lord, I imagine those kind of things just remind us how we're not promised tomorrow. We don't know what a day may hold. But Lord, we can trust you and look to you and Lord, I pray that we do that. And God, as we have the, the privilege and the blessing to be able to gather in person, I thank you for everybody's here. Lord, we even pray for those who are watching via live stream and just give us favor with the technology, Lord. 
that nothing would be a distraction or a hindrance. God, we've come, and I imagine we just want to hear from you. All of us have a different story, and we've come from different walks of life. I imagine we walk in here with different fears and frustrations and concerns and questions. But Lord, we thank you that we can look to you, that you love us, you care for us. And Lord, I trust that there's something you want to say and encourage, and perhaps if we need to be rebuked or corrected, that that will happen too. And so we just commit our time of study to you now, and by faith we say thank you for how you'll speak. We ask and pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So with our restrictions in the next two weeks, just air high five someone, okay? Just turn around, say hello, air high five. Elbow bump, maybe. So we'll make this uh, class participation a little bit. You guys can help me out. So by a show of hands, how many of you are on some kind of platform of social media? Is that? All right, good majority of us. How many of you are on Facebook? All right, how many of you are on Instagram? Oh, that's an interesting. How many of you are on Twitter? Anybody still on Twitter? All right, four of you, all right. <laughs> how, many, how many of you, if you're not ashamed to admit it, how many of you are on TikTok? Four, five of you, okay. How many of you still have MySpace? You have MySpace. In there. <laughs> Some of you know I, uh, I'm on the first two, so I do have a Facebook and an Instagram. Um, also, so does the church. The church has a Facebook and Instagram. And I'll make a little bit of a side mini plug if, uh, if you're on those platforms. We'd love, the church would love to have you follow and you know, rate and review and those things. It's a very easy way to let people know that we exist and what to expect. But uh, if you're active on those platforms and you are, and I would add maybe even proficient in those platforms, uh, you know that there are these quick video clips that you can post that are called stories, and now there's one called reels. And, and I have been told that you can see what generation you are or how tech-savvy you are by where you post and how you post. So according to my young adult kids and my teenage kids, uh, I'm uh, old because uh, I only mostly just post in Facebook. And so if you're on Facebook and you're in Twitter, then you're old. Uh, if you're in Instagram and you're in TikTok, then apparently you're young. You're in the younger crowd. And also, if you only do posts and exclusively post, then you're old too. Uh, the, apparently, the new and the in thing to do is to make stories and to make reels. So the problem that I have with that, though, is that they only last one day. And so if you don't see them, poof, they're gone, you miss it. And there's been often times where my wife will say, hey, did you see, you know, Rebecca's thing? And I'm like, no, where is it? And then, oh, it's gone already. And I'm like, why didn't she just put it on her thing? You know, send it to me. And yeah, even my wife's like, you're old. So I bring that up only to say this. If, if Hebrews chapter 11 were posted on social media, the first part of the chapter would be posts. And the things that we just read would be more of stories and of reels. Because the writer gives us a very just quick name with no background and just scurries us along. And, and I'm left a little bit like, what, 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 what about Gideon? What about Barak? What about David and Samuel? There's so much there. 
know, sometimes what my wife will do is she's watching these stories, she'll take a screenshot of the thing to pause it in time, and then one of her funny things that she'll do is she'll start zooming in on the picture, especially to see if there's people in the background and funny faces they might make in these things. Uh, just she entertains herself that way. So uh, I was a little bit tempted to do that with these verses, to take a screenshot, if you will, and zoom in and deep dive on each of these names and each of these stories and, and to find out what is the writer talking about from verse 33 all the way to 37, these scenarios of, of quenching fire, of, of, of you know, escaping the edge of the sword? Like, Where do we find that in the scripture so that we can have some type of address that goes with what the writer has given us? Well, uh, even as he says, you know, uh, time would fail me to say these things, I feel the same way. Time would fail us to deep, make a deep dive in all of these particular examples that he gave. And so we will do a, a little bit of a pause, but we won't do a deep dive as we've done in the past. We certainly want to understand what is the writer talking about so that we can understand for us what does the Spirit want to say to us today? especially in the area of how we follow the Lord and how we can cultivate a faith that overcomes whatever may come your way. I draw your attention back to verse 32. The writer says, What more shall I say? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David, Samuel. Now, up to this point, the author has provided us a great number of examples of men and women who trusted God by faith. That they took God at his word and they said, okay, God, we trust you and we're going to trust your way and whatever you want to do, despite tremendous obstacles, despite even, for many of them, impossible circumstances. And as way of review, once again, the author, uh, the point of the illustrations that the author was making to encourage the reader, so the original audience were these Jews who had come out of Judaism. They're now following Christ. We would call them Messianic Jews today, Hebrew Christians. As they read it, they would be encouraged. And of course, as we read it today, that we would be encouraged to do the same, that you and I, despite what you face, despite the hardships, the dark days, tsunami warnings and COVID restrictions uh, and whatever may come your way, that you and I can trust God at his word and trust God in his ways even when we don't fully understand them because God is good. And that's what we've been trying to encourage ourselves through. So what, the, what did the writer do? He highlights 14 people and events as examples over and over again to encourage and to be challenged by. And he knows that he could add way more. There's, the list is almost you know, inexhaustible. There are many more examples that he could add from Scripture to encourage us to follow the Lord by faith. Well, listen, by the way, that is one of many reasons why it's good for you and for me to read and to study the Old Testament. Sometimes people shy away from it, but all of Scripture is inspired. All of Scripture is good and profitable for you and for me. In fact, the New Testament commentary on the Old Testament is those things have, that have been written 
have been written so that you and I can learn from them. We can be admonished from them. And so if you're one that doesn't normally read or study through the Old Testament, I encourage you to do so. Some great lessons there for us. So he, he asks rhetorically, what more shall I say? The idea, he says, I have way more content than I do time. And as a preacher, I'm like, yes, I, amen, I understand that. I have way more content than I have time. But man, what a blessing the Word of God is for us. Even Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 11.33, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his ways. So the writer says, I have a lot more that I could drop on you, a lot more I can unpack. And he just kind of gives us these quick names without the background. So we'll take a little bit of time, not a lot. He gives us four names where he starts off. He says, Time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. Now, I hope that you know who these guys are. If you don't know who these guys are, here's your homework assignment. If I can give it to you, go read. And guess what? They're all found in one book in the Old Testament. Their stories are found in the book of Judges. And so you don't have to search a lot of different places. Just read the book of Judges this week. Now, as we've noted before, God used imperfect people to do his will, and each of these guys, these four, they had some major flaws in their life, and yet here they are listed in what's often called the hall of faith. I can't remember if we made this point last Sunday or Sundays prior, but church family, please, I, I hope that you know this. When you and I come to Jesus Christ by faith, all of your sins are washed away. Past, guess what? Present and even future stupidity, Christ has paid for. They're washed away. Psalm 103 says that as far as the east is from the west, God has removed your sin and cast it away from you and remembers it no more. And so when the Lord looks upon your life, even as these guys are named in the hall of faith, and yet a lot of their story is how they blew it. But as God looked upon them and as God looks upon you, guess what? He sees his son in you. You have become his child. I I thought about this family many years ago when I lived in Southern California in a small church that I was going to. Uh, there was this young man by the name of Robert. He was 20-something, young guy. He ended up getting brain cancer. And uh, you know, the church prayed for him, and his family was praying for him. And, uh, and he ended up passing away. And I remember going to his house, and he was you know, in hospice care, but in his house, and you know, they rearranged the living room, and he was there. And, you know, and he was still... Uh, mentally present, but you know he had this cancer, and he was talking, and 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 one of the things that uh, the family had decided, along with Robert, was that when he passed away, he was going to donate his organs because his body was healthy; it was just his, you know, his brain because of the cancer. And so Robert would end up passing away, and sure enough, the family uh, would donate his organs, uh, to, you know, to different people. And soon after, word had come to them that there was another young man, and, uh, and I, I forget the circumstances, so I apologize, but basically 
what happened is Robert's heart was a match for this young guy, and so uh, this young man ended up, you know, through a series of tests and then getting Robert's heart. They did a heart transplant, and it was in the news. It was in Riverside. Again, this is years ago, California. And and what happened though is that Robert's family um, would go and visit this young man and pray for him in the hospital and. And, and that young man, in a sense, became a part of Robert's family. Of course, Robert's heart was beating in this guy. And, and all of a sudden, if you will, like a new family was, was you know, born and their families got together and they became very close. And I've lost track. I don't know, you know, it's years ago now. Um, but I thought about that of how, how because of the sacrifice that Robert made in giving his own heart to this young man, how this family, you know, came to be. And really, it's a... It's a picture of what happens to us when we come to God by faith because of the life of his son, Jesus Christ, and because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and for me, his life now is in your life. And and if you will, our spiritual heart beats because the spirit of Jesus resides in us. And so when God sees you, right, God sees his son in you. And so Hebrews in this Chapter 11 reminds of this, of this, of that, that when God talks about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, oh, they are flawed men. They have some, uh, some crazy stories. I, I mean, even for me, I don't know why, like, I wouldn't pick some of these guys to be here. And yet God did. And so if you know their account, you know that these four men, they had some issues. And again, if I was the Lord, I wouldn't pick them. They're not the ones I pick on my team. They're like the third string players. And yet God in his grace chose them and picked them. And guess what? God in his grace chooses you and picks you and puts you on the team as well. So Gideon, Gideon's deal. Uh, Gideon's story is found in Judges chapter 6. He becomes one of the judges or he's like a leader. Uh, When you think judge, don't think like Judge Judy. Um, It's more like like a governor of the nation. But when you first meet Gideon, he's hiding. He's hiding away from the enemy. The enemy nation has been making their raids and attacks, and so he doesn't want his things stolen. So he's hiding away, and he's doing his work uh, you know, in the safety. He's playing it safe from the world. All that's happening in the world around him, he doesn't want to be a part of it. So if you will, he's just kind of hiding himself away. When the angel comes and greets Gideon in um, Judges chapter 6, the angel comes to him, and he doesn't say, he doesn't say, hey, Gideon, what's going on with you, dude? Why are you, why are you a chicken? Why are you hiding? Here's how the angel greets him. The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. You know, if I'm Gideon, I'd be like, say what? Like, who? Are you talking to me? Like, because the Lord's salutation doesn't match Gideon's situation. Right? Gideon is hiding And yet the angel comes and gives him a high five and calls him a mighty man of courage, a mighty man of valor. Again, there's some great um, lessons we can learn from Gideon's life and how he gets emboldened. And later on, he's going to say for the Lord and for Gideon. But the writer doesn't give us all of that. So let me just boil it down to this. Just like when God saw Gideon and addressed him from the get-go, the Lord sees you the same way. The Lord sees you now, and guess what? When he sees you, he sees you in your potential of life. 
And, and what the Lord speaks over you is this. With God, you can overcome. As Gideon embraced that identity, as he embraced by faith what God spoke to him before he became it, it enabled Gideon to become what God had declared he was. Does it make sense? See, we can trust God, what God has said about you, that you are his chosen, that you are his beloved, that your eye and your ear, you haven't even thought of everything that God wants to do in your life and for you. And when you and I accept that by faith, even though it doesn't match how we feel or how we look at ourselves in this present circumstance, listen, it will enable you to boldly step into what God has spoken over your life. Because I dare say there are too many of us that are just kind of still cowering in fear. We're stuck in fear. Or we've allowed ourselves to be trapped by our own definition or our own limitations. Oh, I could never do that. I could never be that. Says who? The Lord doesn't say that. And so Gideon reminds us, gang, we can step out in faith and take a hold of confidently and boldly what God has spoken over your life. Again, there's a lot more lessons to learn, but we'll leave it at that. So we move from Gideon, and now we move to this guy by the name of Barak. Now, Barak's story is found in the book of Judges, but he's not a judge. He becomes the commander or the uh, general of the military under Deborah, who, when we meet her, she's called a prophetess. And so she's a female governor that God raised up. This is Judges chapter 4, records the events. And again, I have to be very honest. If you know the account, I don't know that I would have picked Barak to be an example of faith. Because if you go through his account in Judges 4 and part of 5, he seems to be more of an example of weakness and compromise. God speaks to Deborah. Deborah goes to him and says, Hey, God has a mission for you. I want you to go and recruit 10,000 men. Get this army together, and God's going to be with you, and I want you to engage the enemy, and they have iron chariots, but God's going to give you victory. You guys know the account? Remember what Barak says to Deborah? He doesn't say, all right, I'm on. I got this. He says, uh, if you go, then I'll go. But if you don't go, I'm not going. Like that might work for the grocery store or my wife says, hey, you want to go shopping with me? Mm, I don't know, you know. But to go to battle after God said, I want you to go and grab 10,000 men and I'm going to give you victory, for him to say, I'm not sure if I'm going to go. I'll only go if you go. It seems as though there's a lack of faith. And yet, if you know the account, you know Deborah basically says, okay, dude, I'll go. And, and we're going to experience victory, but God's not going to give victory to you. It's going to go to a, into the hand of a woman. And so off to battle they go. And no surprise, God gives them victory. And just like Deborah had said to Barak, they win. The enemy general, his name's Sisera, he ends up escaping. He goes to this place and he finds himself face to face with this gal by the name of J.L. And 
Long story short, Sisera ends up dying. If you don't know the account, I encourage you to read it later. You'll get the point. Hopefully it'll be driven really quickly into your head as you read it. Okay. But it's amazing to me that Barak is named. And the writer doesn't tell us what part of his life is the highlight of faith. So I can only give you some suggestions. I suspect that despite his timid uncertainty, despite his compromise that God allowed, he still moved forward in faith. But he still engaged the battle. He still experienced victory, although it wasn't exactly what God perhaps was intending you know, on the first draft. But I also find comfort in it. Because I, I do feel there are times where I try to make conditions with the Lord. Well, God, I, I'll do that, but I, I need these assurances. I think the Lord did it with Gideon. And I, I find comfort in the fact of this, that the Lord will often meet you and me where we're at. Like, He knows our weaknesses. He knows our insecurities. He knows our uncertainties. And yet, in His grace, He'll still meet us where we're at. And so, it's this kind of faith that allows us then to overcome our personal fears and our own personal insecurities or uncertainties that even if there is uncertainty in what is before you, God is certain. God is good. God is faithful. And God can bring you and in, in, in through and overcome the obstacle you face. And maybe for a year you're like, I don't want to face it alone. And God would grant you a concession. Okay, you don't have to. And I wonder for Barack if maybe the aspect of him is that he didn't want to be alone, but he didn't really care who got credit for the victory. That for him, it didn't matter just that they would go together. Harry S. Truman said, it's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't care who gets the credit. I like that. And so that's part of Barak's testimony by faith. Samson. There's a lot we could say about Samson. We can spend a couple Sundays on Samson alone. Time would fail. <laughs> Samson is often described as a he-man with a she-weakness. And the story of Samson is a sad one to me. It's one of a wasted potential of opportunities lost. It's a, it's a life story of forfeited blessings, all because of his sinful tendencies. He couldn't control his flesh. He had, a, he had lust problem. And at the end of his life, it becomes the classic three-point sermon for most pastors and preachers, the three-point sermon of sin, that sin will bind you, sin will blind you, and sin will grind you. And that's what happens to him. He's captured, his eyes are taken out, and he's left just grinding for the enemy. But if you know the very end of the story it doesn't end that way. It's a story of redemption. Because at the very end of Samson's life, Samson repents. After all of the chaos he created, after all of the damage he instilled, and by faith, he calls out to God. Now, we're going to make this point in a little bit. His circumstance didn't change, but he changed. He calls out to God, and God forgives him, 
And essentially what happens is God gives him a bigger victory at the very end of his life than all of the victories that he had as a younger man. And that's the grace of the Lord. And you know what it speaks to me, to us, is that God's not done with you. And we talked about it before, like regardless of what your past may look like, God's not done with you. The story of God's grace is still being written. And I often think about when Jesus changed the water into wine, uh, recently at Justin and Tara's uh, anniversary, I got to share a little word, and that was the verse that came to me, and how the first miracle happens at, at a wedding. But what happens when Jesus changed the water into wine, the head waiter tasted, and he makes that commentary, he says, you know, normally all the good stuff served first, but you've saved the best for last. And, and I think that's a kingdom principle. God often saves the best for last. And maybe for some of you, you think, man, my younger years, I, I wasted them. I, uh, you know, I, I didn't um, take advantage of the opportunities that I have. Guess what? In the Lord, you still have them. And Samson life reminds us of that, that we can trust God. He still has greater victories ahead for you. Whatever your past may look like, um, even if they were spent on selfish or sinful pursuits, the Lord's not done with you. And so Samson reminds us of that. And then we're told of this guy by the name of Jephthah. Now Jephthah, again, he's, he's not a who's who. He's like the who's he. The story's a little bit obscure. If I had to have any kind of parallel of Jephthah, Jephthah's like the, he's like the Cinderella of the Old Testament. Or he's like, a, you know, little orphan Annie. He lived a hard knock life, this guy. His mom his mom was a prostitute. His dad was well-known, but they ended up having a baby by the name of Jephthah, and everybody knew it. So his half-brothers and the rest of his family hated him. He's illegitimate. In fact, his own dad despised him. They didn't want anything to do with him. And so he grew up with this horrible family structure. He was an outcast. He's illegitimate. And so this young man, what did he do? The Bible says that he ended up finding, he got in the wrong crowd. He surrounded himself with, the, uh, uh, with derelicts, with unworthy men. Some translation says uh, he surrounded himself with the raiders. So if you're a raiders fan, you, know, you have a biblical text for your mascot, right? Jephthah. And so basically, that's the deal. He became like a gangster. He got in with some gangs. His story is found in Judges 11. Again, in my mind's eye, imagine if he's alive today, he'd be like uh, some of the homeboys when I lived in Southern California. A lot of, a lot of my friends um, assumed that I was Hispanic, although I'm half Japanese. But, and so a, a lot of them were just, you know, they're just cholos. And so I imagine Jephthah, if he was alive today, he'd have a bandana and a flannel and some dickies. But what happened to this bad dude? When things got rough for the nation and for the family, the enemies came in, guess who they turned to? They turned to him. 
Evidently, even though he had a rough upbringing, he knew the Lord and he loved the Lord. And so they come to him like, hey, we need your help. And, and instead of him saying, oh, no, now you need my help? Like, oh, you fools need me now, you see? Right? <laughs> he's willing to go. He, he, he's, he's the bigger person. Where he sets those things aside, the scorn and the rejection, the, the outcasting, and by faith. He's willing to set that aside, and he takes lead of these people, and he leads them to victory. Now, again, there's other parts to his story. Some of you guys know he, some would argue that he made a very foolish vow. He said, well, you know, God's going to give me victory, and whatever comes out of my house, I'm going to dedicate it to the Lord and give that as a sacrifice. God gives him victory. He comes home, and his daughter comes out of the house. And there's some debate. Did he actually sacrifice her, or did she you know, become a living sacrifice, remained unmarried for the rest of her life. And there's some debate about that. That's a, that's a different lesson on another time. But I, I, sus, I suspect, because again, the writer doesn't tell us, but the point of faith that we can learn from Jephthah is that there may be, there may be people in your life, family or friends, your coworkers, that because of your faith, because they know you're a Christian, and they don't like Christians for whatever reason. And so they sideline you. You're not necessarily the one that they're inviting to all of the get-togethers. There's conversation going on, all of a sudden you walk up, and then all of a sudden you know, they disperse. That for whatever reason, you know, they ignore you or they disregard you, and that can happen, and that happens. But don't be surprised when trouble hits them. Don't be surprised then when, when they face hardships and hard things come their way that all of a sudden they come to you. And they're asking for prayer. They're asking for wisdom. They're asking for guidance. They're asking for counsel. The tendency in our flesh may be like, oh, now you need me, essay? See, by faith we can let those things go. We can overcome our past challenges with friends and family and how they might have treated us before. We see the same example in the life of Joseph, his brothers and how they treated him. And yet fast forward in his life, you guys know the account. He gives grace to them and loves them. He overcomes that experience. And so again, the writer gives us these four guys, doesn't get into details, there's a lot more to all of their stories. And then he mentions David and Samuel. Can you imagine if we pause and try to do a deep dive on David and Samuel? Uh, you know, we would be here forever. This would be you know, years worth of studies. And so I'll just say this. All of these accounts are good for us. And it's good for you and for me to read and to study and learn and it's good for our souls and our lives and our hearts to be strengthened in our faith. And, and these can become, if you will, our heroes of faith. You know, it's, I think it's good to have people that we can look up to and have mentors and, and heroes. And, you know, and even for our kids. And please don't get me wrong. I, I think I, I like Marvel superheroes too. And I have my favorites amongst others, and others have different favorites. But they're not real people. Right? They're not real people. But Bible heroes are real people. 
They're real people with real problems, and they had some stuff going on, and yet God was faithful, and they, they trusted the Lord. And so, man, these are the people that we can look to to be heroes of our own faith. Well, what did they do by God's help? The writer continues, and he gives us quite an impressive list. Notice these things. And again, he doesn't attach a person. He just, attaches, he just lists a situation. Through faith, through faith what? Subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. That's probably Daniel. Quenched the violence of fire. That's maybe Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. Became valiant in battle. Maybe that's Gideon. Turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Again, not like UFO aliens, but you know, foreign powers. And even in the beginning of verse 35, women received their dead raised to life again. Remember the, the lady that Elijah raised her, her kid? She came to life. He came to life again. Now you read that again. I'm tempted to be like, where are these accounts? And to what people or chapters are these things attached to? We don't have a lot of time. But can you imagine this list if this was something that described your life? That is quite the list. Imagine if you're uh, you know, applying for a job and they're like, oh, what, you know, what, exper- what experiences do you have? Or what skills do you have? You're like, I don't have any good skills. Nunchuck skills or woodworking skills. You, know. you have this list. Subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises. Oh, I stopped, I stopped the mouth of a lion, escaped the edge of the sword. That's quite the list. How did you do all of that? You say, oh, we didn't. God did. I'm just simply the recipient of that. By faith, these things happened. Can you understand that your list and my list, it's going to look very different than this list. But if we're living by faith, you're going to have a list. There should be a record of God's faithfulness in your life, of things that God has worked for you and done for you, spoke to you, delivered you, grown you. It, it may not be this. It, it's going to look a little different. You know, part of, my, part of my list includes 21 years ago, next month, uh, God led me and my family to move to Okinawa. At that time, I had two kids. I had a two-year-old and a six-month-old. And we sold everything or we gave it away. And it wasn't easy. It was hard. I had to sell my snowboard. I'm like, oh. Or my Bruce Lee VHS, VHS collection. The haggle with this old man. I'm like, sir, it's like $100. He's like, I give you $5. It's $100. It's my Corazon right here, Bruce Lee. Anyway. And by faith, we moved into this building 14 years ago. And by faith, you and I, we survived 2020 and 2021. And by faith, gang, I believe we're going to survive. I'll even add this. We're going to thrive in 2022. Your list is going to look different, but we should have a list. But of all of those things, let me just focus on this one thing, because it really stood out to me. In verse 34, it says, Out of weakness were made strong. Because a lot of those things are very specific. We might be able to turn to a person, oh, that's, 
That applies to Daniel, that applies to Elisha, that applies to Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. But out of weakness, we're made strong. I think that can apply to every single one of us. Because it is the way that God often works. His ways are not our ways. And often they seem to be contradictory or uh, an oxymoron or a paradox. How many times where Jesus would say, if you want to be first, you're going to be last, or you want to be great? And and I like that because it's the idea that we can have a a sanctified drive and, and desire and ambition. You know, selfish ambition is sinful, but one that's given to the Lord is okay, but the way up is going down. Jesus says, you want to be great? Then learn to be the servant of all. And so often it's not the way of the world. It has a completely different look. You want to be full? You want to experience God's fullness in your life? Learn to be one that gives. Give your time and give of your service and give to others. Some of you have discovered that secret, right? You cannot outgive the Lord. And yet that's not the way of the world. And, and likewise, it's often when you and I come to the place where we recognize, I got nothing, Lord. I am weak. I'm without resource. I'm exhausted. I'm done. I'm spent. And the Lord shows up and says, hey, I got you. And I do believe it's true that oftentimes the Lord allows us to get to empty, to realize we need him in order for us to be full. He's got to empty you and me of ourselves first because we're too full of ourselves. And so out of weakness, we can experience the Lord's strength. And by faith, we can trust the Lord for his strength. Now, we read this list and we'd say, man, there are times and there are many times where God will give you faith that overcomes And what does it look like? It's a faith that overcomes the circumstance. You experience victory. You experience blessings. I was talking earlier with uh, some families and um, how I was blessed. The Lord opened the door for my daughter to be able to come back to Japan. We spent a little time with her and and, and there are a lot of closed doors and yet the Lord, by his grace, just opened these doors. But but we want it to be like, all right, God, whatever you want. If you're going to close the door, you're going to close the door and help us to be okay with that. But God was really good. And so there's times where we can celebrate, oh man, God gave us victory. God opened the door. God gave us this blessing. And it's good to have hope and it's good to pray for that. And it's good to trust God in all circumstances that he can take us through and, you know, what... Um, you know, closed doors that God can open, and when there seems to be no way, God can make a way. God is the God of the impossible. We believe all of that. He did that for Daniel. He did that for Meshach and Shadrach and Abednego. He did that for uh, Jeremiah. Delivered these people. And, and, and so, yes, we can trust God in big things because God is big. Amen? And God knows our circumstances. And so we, we want to have faith that's like that. But along with that kind of faith is the rest of this list. And notice with me from verse, the latter half of verse 35, others were tortured. Others were tortured. The first part of this list, they're delivered, they escaped, they quenched, right? they survived, they came back to life. And here's the other part of that list. Others were tortured. 
They didn't accept deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Their, their viewpoint was not earthly. <laughs> a, better res, a better deal more than de, uh, immediate deliverance? Others, still others, verse 36, had trial of mockings and scourgings. That means they were beaten, they were whipped, they were abused, they were chained, they were imprisoned. Others were stoned, the idea of stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were slain with the sword. Right, one part of the list is they escaped it. The other part of the list is they're slain. They wandered around homeless in sheepskin and goatskin. When we think about sheepskin and goatskin, you're thinking the cover of your Bible or the purse you carry. They're being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves. I'm challenged by the second part of the list. Because if it's just the first part of the list, we'd be like, yes, amen, God can overcome. We're going to overcome faith. Faith that overcomes our circumstances to see us through these things. But this part of the list doesn't necessarily match the first part of the list. Because these are situations that if, if you're me, I'm like, I, I'd rather be in the first part of the list. I don't know that I want to be walking around homeless and sawn in two. And yet it's there. It's still part of the list of faith that overcomes. These aren't a list of those who overcame the circumstance where the circumstance changed. But this is a list where they changed. The circumstance stayed the same. People were tortured and mocked and scourged and imprisoned and they died and they stoned, they're brutally killed, they're left destitute, they're wandering. It would seem as though whatever prayer they were praying, it didn't get answered. How do we reconcile this situation with the previous situation? Because on the face of it, you might read that and say, oh, God didn't answer their prayers. God didn't deliver them. God didn't open the door for them. God didn't rescue them. They still suffered. They still died. They still suffered loss. They were just distressed. And yet tucked in these phrases, these verses, those that didn't accept deliverance, they might obtain a better resurrection. Verse 39 says, and these having obtained a good testimony through faith, they didn't receive the promise, the idea on this side of eternity because God had something better. And notice, not just for them, the writer says, for all of us. God has something better for all of us. It's the second part of this list. It's hard. It's a hard. How do you reconcile these things? But it reminds us of a, of a hard but difficult truth, and that is that God's ways aren't our ways. And there's going to be times where, guess what? You're going to suffer loss. You're going to hurt. God's not going to seem to have answered our prayer the way that we wanted him to answer. Well, don't get me wrong. It's not that we let go of hope and faith. Faith in God gets us through and out of many times difficult things. We can traverse through the tough terrain of life. There are times where God will keep us from difficulties. 
But that same faith will also keep you through difficulties, to keep you intact. The circumstance may not change, but you become stronger. Your faith remains intact. And it's the idea that, that you then, right, faith in God, regardless of what the outcome is, is that the circumstances then don't overcome us. We don't become overwhelmed by it. Because not everyone is healed. Robert wasn't healed. Some of our families, we've prayed, but they weren't healed. My mom passed away from cancer. We prayed and prayed and fasted and anointed her. Marriages end in divorce. Brutal crimes happen. Accidents happen. Miscarriages happen. Injustice happens. Terrible things still happen. You live in a fallen world. And so often, if you're like me, my view is the here and now. But these verses remind us that that's not God's view. God's looking at the whole picture. He has eternity in mind. And so while we look at it and think, oh, that is bleak. That's not how, you know, God, you didn't answer my prayer. God keeps us in the midst of those things. When disaster struck Job, his poor wife, she was upset and confused, and she comes to Job and she says, curse God and die. And Job replies to her and says, hey babe, should we only accept good things from God? Shouldn't we also accept adversity? Job 2 verse 10. You know, the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they go into the fiery furnace, God didn't, they, they still go into the fire. But even their faith is this. And we talked about this before. When King Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, I'm going to give you one more chance. You can repent, renounce your faith, recant, or you're going in. And they said, oh, king, understand this. Our God can deliver us from this fire. But then they had this phrase, but even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down. We talked before, right? We, God wants us to develop the even-if-he-doesn't type of faith. We still bless his name. We still trust the Lord. Verse 39 and 40, that all these obtained a, a good testimony through faith, didn't receive the promise. The idea didn't receive the promise in their lifetime. God provided something better for us. God sees what we do not see. God sees eternity. He has the eternal picture. His purposes and plans are not just for this life, but they are for the life hereafter. And it's faith then in that and trusting God's plan beyond this life that can keep us intact even when hard, hard things happen. Because they happen. So a couple weeks ago, I got word there's a young missionary couple that's in Taiwan, uh, young, the girl, Marissa, she's 20, her husband I think is also 20. She was a missionary in Hong Kong, met her husband there, fell in love. Um, because of stuff that happened in Hong Kong, they moved to Taiwan, so they're doing missions in Taiwan. Uh, I know her mom and dad pretty well, they're uh, missionaries in Mexico. So, uh, young couple, 
you know, beautiful young people, wanted to start a family, and they've been praying for a while, and God answered prayer that she got pregnant and was going to have this baby, and, and for a while I didn't know what happened, but recently I found out, so she shared it um, on social media, um, her testimony. Um, so as a younger 20-something-year-old couple on Christmas morning, Christmas morning, she delivered her baby stillborn. And they named her Haven. And she has a beautiful reason as to just, you know, God's working and the blessing of that child. But here's what she wrote. And I was struck with the maturity of it and the depth of it. She wrote, quote, The immeasurable sorrow and devastation over the unexpected death of our child are things I never, ever thought I'd have to endure in this life. In the quiet little corner of our hospital room, I spoke to my sweet little one and I sang the dear old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. On the same day, on Christmas Day in the evening, I buried my baby in the garden of our church and I celebrated Christmas. The symbolism of that day now carries an added meaning for me and my husband as we celebrate the birth of Christ. For through his birth came his death and resurrection and through that came the assurance of heaven. Therefore, we now also have the same blessed hope of seeing our baby again someday, restored and renewed and made whole, and we rest in the promise of God, and we delight in the blessing of being called Haven's parents. You know, I, I read that and I thought, what sustains a couple through something like a first-time mom, or any parent, or we'd add in any person that goes through circumstances of life when they seem to be so cruel. When on the face of it, we'd say they were cheated, they, you know, too soon, too young, unfair. What sustains us? It's faith in God. It's faith in an eternal God who sees beyond this life and gives us a hope that transcends. It doesn't just traverse through what we go through. It transcends what we go through. And it points us to eternity. See, God has provided something better for us. That phrase in verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy, I highlighted it. And I like that phrase. And I want to believe of haven, and many of our loved ones who God, we would say, took too early, the world wasn't worthy of them. They're worthy of the Lord. And so I trust with you that God will provide something better beyond this temporal life. And God wants us to have a faith that overcomes. Whatever comes our way, and even if what comes our way seems to rock us and, you know, and just takes the wind out of us, it doesn't have to overcome you. The circumstance can change, but we don't have to. Or maybe we do and that we become stronger and more grounded in who we are and what God's called us to do. Amen? Father, I thank you for your word this morning to learn from people and situations
And we don't even know all of the stories, the deeper stories of what was there, but God, we thank you. We thank you that you're one once again, that regardless of who we are and what we've done, that's not a disqualifier. Lord, you love us. You desire for us to know you, for you to work in our lives. And God, you've chosen us. And we thank you for that. And God, forgive us if we've allowed our own fears, our own, what we would say of ourselves, our limitation to be something that's held us back from moving forward with what you've called us to do. Lord, we thank you that even in our uh, compromises and in our, uh, our times where we're afraid, Lord, you're so good. You meet us where we're at. And you bring us along. And Lord, I pray that we too wouldn't care who gets credit, but Lord, just that we'd experience together just victory and, and, and blessing in our lives. Lord, we thank you that we each have a different list of what it means to trust you by faith and a record of your goodness and your faithfulness in our life, even when we weren't faithful and even when we had doubts. Lord, you're so good. God, also in those times where we would ask why, how come, Lord, help us to have a faith that keeps us intact. Despite the circumstances, though that maybe we don't see uh, it being answered on this side of heaven, we thank you, Lord, that faith allows us to look beyond our present and look at the eternal picture to see it as you see it. And so, Lord, may we have faith that then transcends the circumstance we go through. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, gang, as always.